This is On The Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. Great to have you here uh, on the block. ESPN Radio, twitch.tv slash QSportsTalk. Let's bring her in, one of the co-authors of the story everyone's talking about, uh, certainly here in Syracuse, along with uh, Chantel Jennings, our next guest, uh, one of the, the best uh, sports writers out there covering college athletics. You can read her work at The Athletic and certainly follow on Twitter as well. She's got a book coming out in the fall that we will uh, mention at the end of the interview that we'll have to get her back on to discuss. But certainly a topic today is the story about Syracuse women's basketball and the story in the athletic about that. And Dana O'Neill joins us now to discuss that. Dana, thanks for your time and, and joining us today. So, wow, uh, you wrote this in, in the vein that I think a lot of us did. You go back a couple months and you're like, wait a minute, 11 players? Like, this isn't just the transfer portal. Something's up here. Is that where this came from? And, and tell me about your process in writing the story. Yeah, I mean, it was it was just natural curiosity, you know, answering that very simple question, like 11 players transferred and not just, you know, ordinary players, good players, an ACC rookie of the year, a leading scorer, players who got lots of minutes. And, you know, I've been covering college basketball for a long time, 30 years, and that's a big number. And you're right, I mean, the transfer portal and, and the opportunity to play immediately has changed the game considerably, and we see a lot of defections, but that's a that's an eye-popping number, and it was really just a simple question like, well, let's see if we can figure out why, and we just started to reach out to people, um, and not just this year, but over the past few years to see what was kind of going on. So if I have my numbers right, you talked to 30 sources for this story, is that correct? Uh, 29, 28. 28, so about 30 sources. And there, th- yeah. I wanted mm-hmm. to get it to, I, I don't want to give give away your sources, of course, but no. one thing that is there, there's a variety of people here. It'd be one thing if it was like, okay, these are three former players saying this, but this goes beyond that. You talked to a number of different people that had, you know, a bird's eye view of the program on a day-in, day-out basis. Right. We wanted to be, you know, obviously the most important thing when you're doing something like this is that you want to make sure that you have a cross-section of people because while one or two or three people's voices are very important, um, you know, the more people that back things up and can confirm things, the more important it is. Um, and you're right. We, we talked to not just um, players, but, you know, we talked to managers, um, a very, very large collection of them, um, who we thought were really important because they are sort of impartial observers with no skin in the game. I mean, they're not on scholarship. Um, they're there to serve the team, but they're there every day. Um, and I, we thought that their, um, you know, their observations were equally important as the players. So, yeah, we, we did branch out. And as I said at the beginning, it wasn't just players from this year. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a broad spectrum because we wanted to make sure we had an idea of, I don't think you can argue what a culture of a program is based on one year. You know, a culture is something that's supposed to be sustained and built over a period of time. It's hard to go with one takeaway. There's a lot in the story. If, if people haven't read it, they can certainly go through it here. It grows a lot of branches. But is the big takeaway just that word you brought up, Dana, culture? Something was wrong with the culture, depending on what your perspective of it was. And do you feel like maybe it wasn't addressed as much as it could be from a Syracuse perspective? Well, I mean, you know, I certainly think that there was there was something going on. Obviously, a lot of things going on within the program. Um, I think um, there was distrust. I think that's a lot of how these things break down. You know, we made a point to say in the story that I think it's important to point out too that you know coaches are demanding and coaches are hard on players, and no one is saying that that's not happening everywhere and, and happening every day. Um, they ask a lot. Um, 
and but usually there is a trust built into the relationship so that people and players feel safe, that they feel appreciated, that they feel like, okay, yeah, they're asking a lot, but I know they have my back. And it feels like somewhere along the line that eroded um, within the Syracuse women's basketball program, that there wasn't that confidence that, you know, okay, they're asking a lot of me, but on the backside, I know they're going to take care of me. Dana O'Neill is our guest, The Athletic. Uh, The story about Syracuse women's basketball is out there and up. And Dana, one thing to kind of extend that on culture, and this is a broader question, but certainly speaks to Syracuse too. We're in a fascinating time in college sports where things are changing. You brought up the transfer portal, name, image, and likeness is coming. It's, it's, it's unprecedented what we're seeing in a lot of ways. And I think one thing we're seeing is what you just noted. How hard can a coach be on players these days? What was okay even five years ago might not be okay now. Players are more apt to speak up about mental health and things that they just feel they cannot tolerate. But, boy, to get 12 players on the same page on that opinion has got to be a tough thing. So how do you feel about just that transition we're in, coaches that, like you said, can be disciplined, can be hard, can coach their teams hard, but maybe there's more athletes out there that, that feel like that's not okay? Well, I, you know, I just feel like they probably always thought that it, it wasn't okay, but ne- didn't necessarily feel like they had the confidence or the ability to speak up. I think what's changed is that they realize they do have the power and the, and the ability to speak up. But they don't deserve to be demeaned. I, you know, and I, I understand, you know, that that it, people think it's complicated and it's difficult. I really don't think it is. I mean, we're all human beings, and I think you treat people humanely. You treat people decently. You know, that doesn't mean we don't... You know, you have family and you yell at your family every now and right. again. doesn't mean things like that don't happen. But I think we, we all are pretty smart if we, if we really think about it, what the line is. I mean, I don't think it's that complicated. I think we know as people what the line is of how to treat another person. And, and yeah, I mean, we are, I, I think people like to think like, oh, well, athletes won't tolerate this. Well, I'm not sure people are making that sound like it's, it's like this athlete uprising and they're soft. No, I don't know if they ever should have tolerated it. I just don't think they felt like they were, they had a choice and now they recognize that no, we do have a choice and that we should feel secure. We should feel confident. Yeah. You go home to your, your dorm room after a crappy practice or someone's yelled at you, you don't feel good about yourself. Okay. That happens, but there's a difference. And we all know what that difference is. Dana, uh, and I'm going to play the clip here shortly so our audience can hear and get a perspective of it, but just a couple weeks ago, John Wildhack did a press conference. He covered a number of subjects. It was kind of an end-of-the-year thing, and women's basketball came up. It was his first opportunity to comment publicly on and everything that happened, the transfer portal and everything that happened, and he gave a very strong endorsement of Coach Q, and I'm, I'm just going to play it quickly here. I sat with Q. We talked about it numerous times. Uh, we had a re- really candid conversations you know, I totally support him. I, under, I support the values that he has for this program. I support the standards that he holds everyone to. You know, regardless of what you know, what your high school ranking was, or how good a player you are, or how good a player you aren't. Just in the timing department, I'm curious, Dana. Do you did was John aware of your investigation when he said that a couple weeks ago? I don't believe so. I mean, certainly not from us. He wasn't. So, okay. Okay. Um, no. Yeah. I mean, in, in his defense, no, I don't believe so. Okay. That's, yeah, that's something to note there. He was aware, of course, of the players that transferred. He mentioned the candid sure. conversations with Q. So, okay. But I was curious about the, the story itself. Now, in addition to that, John's statement that's in your story, and it was a part of the podcast today as well, seems to infer that Syracuse maybe didn't know about this or the proper procedures weren't followed. I, 
what did you think of that statement that that John gave? And, and to me, it infers like, hey, we didn't know about this, but now we're looking into it. As you know, an investigation has, has been launched uh, in addition to everything we heard. Right. And, you know, and, and look, I, I can't. I can't say what they should or shouldn't have known necessarily what um, other than what was, was what was told to us. We were told by um, several players that they did um, were asked on questionnaires to explain the culture of the program and were very candid and, and laid it out pretty, you know, pretty clearly what was going on and that that those were not just. Uh, questionnaires that went into the ether that they hit submit and they were sent. We were told by another woman that there was a scheduled Zoom interview for an exit interview and the other side did not show up. So, you know, look, I don't know, as we all know, athletic departments are big places and who gets that information and how it filters up and down the food chain. I'm not, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to sit here and place blame on anybody's seat because I don't know the process of how things are done there. Um, but, you know, my my thought has been along, you know, and, and if he had a conversation with the coach, I, I appreciate that. But 11 players walk out the door of your program, again, really good players, some of them. I would hope that there would be some intellectual curiosity to dig on your own to find out why. Um, that's just my own opinion, not necessarily, you know, an indictment of how they did or didn't do business, but that's just my opinion. Um so, you know, I appreciate the fact that they, all, they launched an investigation now. Um, I think that is the only way thing you can do right now is take a step back and ask an outside party to, to look at it. I mean, everyone's too close to it on the inside to look at it. So let's see where this falls, I guess. Dana, I was wondering what you think. And again, you know, kind of letting people speak and, and putting it out there on their own. It kind of speaks for itself in a way. But I was curious about, you know, certainly some former players who are going to come out in defense of Coach Q. I'm sure mm-hmm. you've seen... Tiana Mangakai here today, Alexis Peterson today. I may have missed some others. Those are two very notable defenses of Coach mm-hmm. Q. Uh, Tiana seemed to infer there was a lot of players that kind of had an axe to grind about playing time. And when you're talking to a number of sources, players included, that could be the case, but it, it feels like maybe that doesn't cover everybody, certainly. No, and I, you know, I can't, again, you know, I'm not going right, to, yeah. I'm not going to get in a spitting match with her, but, you know, I would say two things, you know, every, every player's experience is unique to themselves. And just because if she had a great experience, good for her. I'm not saying that she did or she didn't. That's great. Um, that doesn't mean everybody had the same experience and it doesn't necessarily mean theirs wasn't real. Um, so that has to be taken into, into consideration. Um, number one, number two, again, I will just, uh, you know, reiterate that, a lot of players have left this program over the years, and not just this past year. We, we detailed many of them in the article who have left and gone on to have a very, very successful careers at other places. Um, we, you know, people left this year going to other really good programs within the ACC. So I think to argue that the only people who are, are saying, you know, crying foul are those that didn't get their way or didn't have good playing time is, is probably a little bit obtuse, to be honest with you, because if you look at who has left, that's not who's leaving. And again, I, I think, you know, Chantel and I were very careful. I'm not going to tell you who we spoke to. Again, it was multiple players over a number of years, but we were very careful to ask ourselves that very question as we reported this out, make sure this is not just people complaining, he didn't play me, and now I'm going to throw him under the bus. We were very careful to make sure that that wasn't what was going on here. Just to follow up on that, Tiana noted that she wasn't contacted for the story. Is that somebody you wanted to, to speak with for this, kind of looking back on it? Um, no, we did We did not, and she's right, we did not reach out to her um, at the time. I mean, you know, it was more of like trying to understand what was going wrong in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, we, not, not to say if she wanted to speak to us, we wouldn't listen. I mean, we were very open 
um, as we told Syracuse, you know, as we were going through all of this with them, like anything that they want to discuss with us and refute with us, we are going to update the story. It's a, it's a live story. And as this changes come in, we will, we will not only just update them. I think it's important to know we're going to put it out on social media. Cause I, can, I know a lot of times, you know, the big hit comes and things get changed and nobody sees the come around. We're not going to do that. We're not trying to like do a gotcha piece here. That's for sure. Dan, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about something I referenced earlier. This is just a crazy time in college sports. NIL is coming, and <laughs> I've just – the NCAA has just gotten to the point where they're basically like, hey, uh, good luck with everything, right? Like, that's what I take from this. They've had so much time to get ready to – if they had embraced this and not spent millions of dollars mm-hmm. fighting in courts and lawsuits, like, they, they could have been ready for this, but now it feels like they're cramming for a test. There's no way they can pass. Yeah, they're, they're cramming for a test without the textbook, the teacher, the, uh, the, exactly. the overhead projector, all of it. No, it's a mess, and, you know, it is, it's a mess of their own doing. Rather than taking any action, come up with a definitive plan ahead of this, they just sort of left it all to what's going to become the wild, wild west. And, you know – what they're going to have to understand is you can't, after you finally come around and make some rules, you can't retroactively punish people for what they've already done when you didn't have rules in place, or you can't take away what they've created once you decide that that's against the rules. Like if a player goes out right now and decides I'm going to sign an endorsement dealer deal with a Syracuse car dealership. And in six months, the NCAA says, you can't do that. You can't take that deal away. I'm sorry. You let this happen. Um, and you're going to have to live with the pieces of it. So my hope is, as always it is, is that people aren't taking advantage of, you know, this, when there is no, in the absence of, you know, rules and the lawlessness of people coming in and kind of selling players and their families on promises that can't be kept. I just hope everyone keeps their wits about them and really smart. You know, I've thought about silly things. You know, I have kids, like the first time they get a paycheck, they don't know that half their check goes to good old Uncle Sam. Right, just, yeah. I hope that they're prepared is what I want. I want the players who are making this money to go in with it with open eyes and understand like, you know, you have to be responsible with your money and be careful what you sign and all of those sorts of arrangements. That's my, my biggest concern is like, let them get the money, but I hope that they're protected. Dana, to uh, tease to something down the road here, uh, you have a book about the Big East coming out. I, I cannot wait to see this. There's <laughs> got to be all kinds of stories in that. So make sure you, you circle back with us. I know it comes out in the fall, right? It comes out in November, yeah, okay. absolutely, and I'd Excellent. be glad to talk about it. It's a lot of fun. We, we can't wait. We'll we'll circle back with you then, and I uh, can't wait to read it as well. But uh, in the meantime, thank you for coming on with us today and uh, for shedding, uh, shedding some light on, on the story that you wrote. And as noted, we'll be looking for updates and, and where this goes from here. You bet. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Dana. We appreciate your time, as always. Dana O'Neill, folks, from The Athletic, who wrote the story with Chantel Jennings that uh, – Certainly talk of the town today. We need to break on that note. We'll come back here on the block ESPN Radio.